Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. We learn from this that they saw on Joseph's face what they called the anguish of his soul. They saw on Joseph's face the pain of having been betrayed. And then we learn that Joseph besought them. It said that. He besought us. So Joseph is begging his brothers to not do this to him. Joseph is begging for his life. You can imagine Joseph calling out to each one of his brothers individually by name, begging each one individually, don't kill me by thirst in this pit. We can imagine saying, take my coat, spare my life. And so sad to hear that Joseph's face showed this anguish of soul and that he's crying out to his brother to save his life. It's really scary for Joseph to be trapped in that dark, waterless pit, absolutely helpless, no hope in sight. I mean, when it says that in verse 24, that the pit was empty, it's really trying to make us feel the all-aloneness that Joseph was in. Imagine Joseph, he's all alone in this dark, and he's left to die underground. He's sinking probably in mire. His flesh is cringing at the touch of these, of, of these slimy creatures he can't see that are delighted to have his flesh down there. And he lets out a few wild cries for help, but they just echo back on him. And he realizes no hope's coming. No help's coming. And then he pounds wildly on the walls of the, the rock, and he realizes there's no way out. There's no escape. So he, what does he do? He covers, we can imagine, covers his face and throws himself on the ground trying to find an escape maybe in himself. And then he thinks of his father. He thinks of his father. He says, oh, his father is so far from helping him. His father can't hear the cries, his cries. And then he's in that, he's really in a tomb pit. And he's crying for help and no help comes. And it reminds, it reminds us again of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, this idea of crying and no help comes. That's what it says in Psalm 22.1, Psalm 22.1, where it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, am not silent. See, this whole aspect, crying out for help with no help and becoming, it's what happens in hell. That's the description, you know, the outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, the gnashing of teeth is from the anxiety of crying for help and no help comes. Joseph's crying for help, no help comes. The Lord Jesus Christ was crying out like that inside without an audible sound. And he said in Psalm 69.20, Psalm 69.20, reproach hath broken my heart 
Lord Jesus. I am full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also golf for my meat. My thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. See, I looked for pity. There was none. I looked for comforters. There was none. And so we can see Joseph now. He's thinking about those dreams. And he's thinking, boy, how quickly it all ended. Just a few feet that separates me from life and death. In a moment, the course of my life, it just seems to stop all the hopes, all the aims. Everything that I had in life is just gone in a moment. What a picture. What a picture of the world. The world, oh, the world's an oyster. It promises so much. And then in an instant, some tragedy, it's all over. It's so final. Like it says in 1 John 2.17, 1 John 2.17, the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. But Joseph, as we said, he's not the only one who found himself in this trapped position. Jonah was also desperate in the belly of the fish, that feeling of being trapped, just like Joseph, trapped in a pit. And someone else, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was trapped in an underground dungeon. It sounds very much like this pit that Joseph was put in, where it says in Jeremiah 38, 6, then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek. And that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. Now, what would you do if you were Joseph or you were Jonah or you were Jeremiah and you were trapped, absolutely helpless, no hope in sight? What do you do when you're in a situation like you feel that way in life? You feel like you're Joseph in the pit and Jeremiah in the fish's belly and, I mean, uh, Jonah in the fish's belly and Jeremiah. When you feel absolutely helpless with no hope in sight, what do you do when you're afraid like that? You do what David did. You do what David did. And he said in Psalms 56.3, Psalm 56.3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. That's why we have it on the doors of our MRI room. When you go in there to get diagnosed for cancer, you know, we have that right on the door. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Now, we have Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish, who is diving now to the great depths of the sea. And he prayed in, in Jonah 2.1, Jonah 2.1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell. I cried, I heard my prayer. Jonah 2.7, Jonah 2.7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee and to thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. See, Jonah said, my soul faints within me. Oh, I remembered. I remembered the Lord. That's Jonah's moment of, oh yeah, I remembered God. I remember the Lord. I mean, can we relate to that? I think so. I can you know, what happens too often? You know, crisis comes, car, car accident, quick, swing into action, call for help, you know, cancer, quick, swing into action. You know, where's the greatest medical, American medical institutions that we got here? Okay, what about God, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remembered the Lord. Yeah. Only too often for us, it's, it, it's only after we're so overwhelmed, like Jonah was, by our problems that we're driven to when my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. But wonderfully, God delivered Jonah, Jeremiah, and Joseph. From there, each had their chambers of death. For Jonah, it says in Jonah 2.10, 
the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the ground. God spoke to the fish. God spoke to the fish. It had a stomach ache. <laughs> and then the fish thought, I'm going to vomit. <laughs> I know I'm going to vomit. I don't know where fish normally go when they vomit. I don't know. But probably the fish is saying, I don't want to swim in this stuff. <laughs> so, you know, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll beach myself, and I'll, I'll vomit on the dry land. <laughs> so he does that, and out comes Jonah. This one big propelling vomit. Oh, boy. <laughs> and God speaks to a, spoke to a fish to vomit, and on the dry land, and he vomits out Jonah. Boy, how good is God? Now, that was an unusual deliverance. <laughs> God's deliverances are usually unusual. That was an unusual way for God to deliver Jonah from his chamber of death. And for Jeremiah, it was an Ethiopian eunuch. It says in Jeremiah 38.7, Jeremiah 38.7, now in Edom, Malek, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, which is in the Ken house, and he heard that they put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Edom, Edom Malek, went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. He's like to die for hunger in the place where he is, and there's no bread in the city. And the king commanded Edomelech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from thence 30 men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he died. So Edomelech took the men with him, went into the house of the king under the treasury, took thence old, old cast clots, and old rotten rags. Couldn't even have nice cloths. He had to have old rotten rags, but okay. And let them down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Edomelech, the Ethiopian, said unto Jeremiah, Put now these old clots, old cast clots, and rotten rags under thine armholes, under the cords. And so Jeremiah did so. And they drew up Jeremiah with the cords and took him out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of prison. So in Jeremiah's case, it wasn't a fish. God spoke to who was an Ethiopian eunuch, not even an Israelite. And he was one who ties together the old rotten rags and rescues him. Boy, what a deliverance. Another unusual deliverance. Joseph's case, God didn't speak to a fish, not an Ethiopian eunuch, but he speaks to a group of, of Midianite merchantmen. And what does he say to them? You need to get up right now, this morning, and then have your breakfast, and then you need to get on the road right now so because I need you to be passing by at just the right time. Now, of course, you didn't say this to them, but this is what happened. All this perfect timing that God orchestrated, it surprised everyone, and that's captured in the word in verse 25, behold. They sat down to eat bread. They lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead. What do you know about that? See, the behold, it expresses the surprise of it all. The believer is surprised, and he says, oh, that was God. The unbeliever is surprised, and he said, oh, that was a coincidence. (laughs) So Judah looks up, and he sees opportunity, opportunity. Hey, look at that. I see merchant men. Look at them. They're all loaded down with spices and balm and myrrh. You can smell them a mile away. Oh, what are they there? Oh, I got it. That means they buy and sell. They want to make money. They don't care how they make money. As long as they buy and sell, as long as they make some money, I'm sure that if the price is right, they'll buy Joseph as a slave. What a great opportunity for us today, boys. And so these merchantmen, they just didn't happen by chance, as we said, you know, passing by. I mean, they got them up, got them breakfast, got them on the road so that the coordination was perfect. How good is God? All right, another unusual deliverance. Now, in all these no way out, 
hopeless dilemmas for Jonah, Jeremiah, and Joseph, where it seems they're absolutely alone. They're not alone. They're not alone. Like David said in Psalm 139.7, Psalm 139.7, whither shall I go from thy presence, uh, from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I descend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there shall thy hand lead me and my right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Now, Joseph's, from this verse, Joseph's brothers, they got a real problem. Because their real problem is, where are they going to find a pit deep enough to hide Joseph from God's eyes? That's their problem. That's very encouraging for us. It's very encouraging for us because Jonah could not find comfort in probability, right? You know, it's, you know what's the probability that this fish is going to have an upset stomach and he's going to beach himself, jump out of the water, and vomit me out on dry land? What's the probability? You know? What's the probability of the resurrection? Let me think. All right. But the fish did. And can you imagine Jonah right after he was vomited out on the dry land? He just, this, I mean, this has got to be a sight, you know? And he's looking back at this big fish that's beached himself, and he's slithering back into the water. I mean, you know, can you imagine Jonah saying, what was the probability of that? You know? <laughs> he said, I mean, you know, Jonah has got to be sitting there thinking, no one's going to believe me. <laughs> well, you know, no one's going to believe what happened here, you know. <laughs> Anybody around? No, uh, I, I can't. Well, they saw me get... Okay, never mind. Okay, so, <laughs> so Jeremiah and Joseph, they couldn't find comfort and probabilities either. You know, a patient asked me at our cancer clinic down at Takati, he asked me, what's the probability of me being cured here? And I said, the probability is 100% if God wills, and 0% if God doesn't will. <laughs> so, but whatever God wills, it's good. Now, read in verse 20, 24 what the brothers did after they cast in the pit. And it says, verse 25 rather, verse 25, they sat down to eat bread. Now, that detail is pretty amazing. That, that's a pretty amazing detail. I mean, you know, this is really stooping to the lowest level of treachery. They've cast their own brother into a pit to die a slow, agonizing death. And what do they do? They feel hungry. So first things first, lunch. Now, it's a very significant detail when it says they sat down to eat bread. You know, the ears are filled with the desperate cries of their brother Joseph, begging them for his life to not die in the pit. And they're so unmoved that they sit down and eat bread. You know, like I said, I wonder if they said grace before they ate the bread, you know. <laughs> I mean, but it shows you the callousness. I mean, it's so important when it says they sat down because it just shows how unmoved they were. They sat down. Like Joseph's agony was some kind of an amusing entertainment for them. Their response is being so unmoved at the death of their brother. It's exactly what happened, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, all, all of these things are, are, are kind of like, you know, Let's turn on the TV and watch murders while we pass the corn. Yeah? Okay, Luke 23, 33. Luke 23, 33. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, where they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left, then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his garment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. 
And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, Ah, he saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Now that was quite an amazing group around the cross. I mean, there the people are. They're standing and watching the entertainment of it all. There the rulers are. They're mocking him with their taunt of save thyself. And there the soldiers are mocking him, saying, hey, you thirsty? Take some vinegar to drink and dividing up his clothes. I mean, the scene of the cross was all callous nonchalance. It all happened on Friday Passover. We can imagine how all these enemies of the Lord, they went home Friday night, sat down for a big Passover feast, knowing he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. But Pastor Lockridge says, it was Friday, Sunday was a coming. It's just all a scene of amusing entertainment. And the scene of Joseph's brothers eating bread is the same as the scene around the cross. This cold-heartedness, this cruelty is described, this cruelty is described in Proverbs 12.10. Proverbs 12.10, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Now, there's something else to keep in mind here. This is a pretty dark chapter, as I, I warned you about that when we came into it. But you got to remember, the Bible was written by Jewish writers. And this description of Jewish brothers of Joseph, it shows how true the Bible is. Because you can see that the Jewish writers took no opportunity to promote their own Jewish people. That's amazing. Now, we're told that these merchant men who arrived on the scene there in verse 25, verse 25, they were a company of Ishmaelites. And they came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, and they are carrying, going to carry it down to Egypt. So these are businessmen, and they're coming from Gilead. Now we know about Gilead. There is a balm in Gilead, right? It's a place, the famous balm for healing. Is there no balm in Gilead? Gilead is just a place where there's the balms, there's the fragrant spices. You can find them there. There's a, there's a, there's a, there was, there is, I don't know if there still is. Anyways, a rose cactus with a very strong fragrance in its gum. There's myrrh there, perfumes. So, you know, these merchantmen, you could smell them a mile away. And all of these spices, these fragrant things, they were in very high demand in Egypt. Why? Well, because the Egyptians, with their feasts, for their cooking, and also they just had this luxurious lifestyle, you know, like think of Cleopatra. But the Egyptians specially needed these strong fragrances for the art that they had developed of embalming. They were famous for the embalming. They embalmed the dead. The Egyptians, when they used their method of embalming, was, it, was, it took a long time. You know, it was a big, long practice. These, they had physicians, Egyptian physicians. They embalmed. They embalmed Jacob. It says that in the last chapter, Genesis 50, verse 2, Genesis 50, verse 2. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him. For so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. It's a 40-day process. And the Egyptians mourned for him three score and 10 days. See, embalming is a 40-day process in which the various strong spices are infused into the dead corpse to preserve it, and make it smell nice. Yeah. It was in, in fact, it was common. It was common practice in Egypt that after bodies were embalmed, they just kept them in the house there for generations. 
you know. Oh, yeah, there's Granddad. He's over there. <laughs> they kept it going on the walls. You can sit on That's okay. And the only way that they could keep the smell out was to use these strong fragrances. You know, it reminds me one time I was going door-to-door witnessing in East San Diego and came across a Buddhist temple, and it was, there was this terrible stench around it. It was horrible. It was one-block Buddhist temple. And I asked the people, I said, what is that smell? Oh, don't you know? They leave the dead bodies out for the birds to eat. So that's what they do. But Egyptians didn't do that. Okay. So these merchantmen are carrying their goods down to Egypt, which was just like the world's emporium for fragrant products. And so Judas, Judah then, he sees the merchantmen. He has a brilliant idea. What profit? What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Now, it's very revealing what he asks here. First, he said, Where's the prophet if we kill, kill our brother? And then later on you saw that then all of a sudden he says, after all, he's our brother in our flesh. This is like, I can't believe he's saying this. You know? <laughs> was like, now you're thinking of that after you've done to him. All right. And so you'd think that Judah, he, he would have a little trouble by saying, slay our brother. And you know, maybe he would have said, slay him or slay the dreamer. But for him to call him our brother, slay our brother, it's astounding. It shows that, again, you know, how, how seared the conscience was. And then he goes on to say, we can conceal his blood. And that shows how blind they were. I mean, they could no more conceal Joseph's blood than Cain could conceal the blood of his brother Abel, that he, who he killed. In Genesis 4.10, it says, and God said to Cain, and God said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. There was no place that Joseph and the brothers could conceal Joseph's blood to stop the voice of Joseph's blood from crying to God from the ground. So Judah suggesting this, that they could somehow conceal Joseph's blood, it shows that Judah was reasoning without God. God was not a consideration for Judah. And this shows how they weren't not thinking of God at all. There's only one thing that causes a person to put God out of his thoughts completely. And it's, it's identified in Psalm 10.4, Psalm 10.4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Really, the Hebrew reads, God is not in any of his thoughts. And, and that's pride that does that. Pride, literally. Psalm 2, 2 and 4 is saying that through pride, a person can get rid of God out of all of his thoughts. So that's the picture we have here. Have sweet dreams. No, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's a sad, very dark picture. But do you see the light in this chapter where God says, they, will, they plan to kill, but I will rescue? So that's wonderful as we, as we think about that and as we consider in our own lives the situations that we get in that look hopeless and helpless and we fall into the trap of probability thinking when really Jonah is our pattern and to see the deliverance that he and Joseph and others had. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray that you'd use it to encourage us this week, lift us up, to realize that man proposes, but God disposes. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5 30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.